but the way that they're just placated in a brave new world sense, that is actually his ultimate, not desire, but prediction of humanity will end in a weird kind of stalemate. Humanity will end in a weird kind of stalemate. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of The 5-8 Take. Welcome back to another discussion, another portal experience into another existence within our existence. The following discussion is with Matthew Wong. Matthew has spent his last 17 years scaling small companies and startups into differentiated businesses across different sectors and organizational types. He has developed and implemented strategic sales, marketing, and operating models that prioritize the customer, improves productivity, and drives new ways of working. Most recently, Matt has created the Discernible.io platform, a media studio based out of Melbourne that trades in the most valuable commodity of all, trust. Matt has broken a lot of stories in Melbourne via his Discernible podcast and has now also launched a news show to compete with mainstream media called The People's Project, in which he holds diverse panel discussions on current events. In this discussion, we break down the Melbourne election, its political landscape, we touch on great philosophers that have come before us. We touch on robots and the future of humans, followed by two ultimate questions that are the staples of this podcast. How do we escape the matrix, the Monday nine to five? And what is Matt Wong's advice for young men today? Strap yourself in for a great podcast please make sure to share this discussion, rate us five stars and leave a review, which I look forward to reading. Your support is what keeps this show going and I truly appreciate it. Let's get into the show. You're listening to The 5-8 Take, Australia's podcast. Apologize, my face is really red. So I, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So we had this grading thing on tonight and... It was just a lot of beating up on each other, and um, which is always fun. You ever done any martial arts yourself? I had all. No, but I mean, Rogan got me into floating, so maybe he'll get me into jiu-jitsu. If he's gotten you into floating, surely he would have snacked you into jiu-jitsu a little bit. Pre-Jamie days, mate. I've been with him forever. Ah, oh, red band days. Red band Those days. Are the- yeah, those 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 are the times. Those are the times. So, how's things been, mate? How's Melbourne? How's life down there? Talk Melbourne's me very through. Happy. <laughs> talk me through. I guess we'll just straight off the bat. Talk me through this election that's just happened. Because us here in Sydney, looking over at Melbourne, we just we just had all uh, like two major Supreme Court wins, which means around. 38,000 fines are going to be null and void. And then we're looking down at Melbourne and we're like, this guy's definitely going to gonna get out. He's not, even, he's not even in Melgrove in his electorate doing any events. Surely he's out and he's in. He's back in. So what's going on down there? Uh, you're about to experience this next year, mate, when Chris Mintz takes over from Perote. Uh, whoa, whoa. Look- Let me knock this wood. <laughs> hey listen chris Minns. i don't mind so much he's not of the socialist left faction like uh like daniel andrews down here now look something something strange has happened well not strange but something unexpected happened in melbourne and and that is we got a very normal election result a third term labor government can expect a swing against it in any of any party of any state that's quite normal the swing against labor was 5.8 percent in this state and for a third-term government, that's normal. But the reason why that's odd is because of what's been going on in the last couple of years. We all thought there would have been some price to pay for what uh, what he did to the place. And there wasn't. There really wasn't. So if anything, you need to take away from this that the I stand with Dan people uh, have a good point in that he won and that we were all wrong in predicting a wave of retribution against him. However, what they get wrong 
is the Labour Party vote went backwards, the Liberal Party vote went backwards. What, uh, only 37% of people voted for Daniel. The rest voted for someone else. So when you go out on the street and there's 10 people, only 3.7 of those people are the voting for Dan. And they, they're going around saying, we all love Dan, we all love Dan. Mm, no, we're tolerating Dan. Most people are like, it's okay, get on with my life, we're all good. So that's really what's happened with this election. People just don't care like we thought they cared about the corruption or about COVID. Do you think Matthew Guy could have done a better job? I know he's, uh, I believe he's gone now completely. He's resigned, uh, whether the party threw him out or his, re- his resign, maybe you can share a light on that. I'm not too sure. Um, but could he, he have done more? I, I think from what I watched of the debates is he was trying to not be combative and show yep. Dan to be the combative person. Weren't you just bragging about the fact that you set it up and you were around the cabinet table? Isn't this your model, the one that you're now saying that we're defending? Look, you can't have it both ways. The, the I'm a big spender, but you're spending $30 billion and the I'm fight spending is yours, 11. Daniel, I'm not um, You wrote the act, but somehow it's my fault. Well, you, you need, I think there's got to be some consistency, surely. The fight is yours, Daniel, not mine. If you want to be a Premier and lead one of Australia's biggest states, you cannot sit back and let someone discredit your costings and say you are talking rubbish. People now have said that was to his detriment. What's your thoughts on that? Well, he lost the last time he ran against Daniel by being too aggressive. Well, they say it was because he was too aggressive, but I'm a, I agree with the opinion out there that says... This episode is brought to you by LoanOptions.ai, the best and freedom supporting marketplace for all your loans. Are you looking to get a new car? Loanoptions.ai. Are you looking to go on holiday? Loanoptions.ai. Are you looking to get new abs like the liver king and be so primal? Or Loanoptions.ai. I can't believe that people actually thought the liver king was natty. Amazes me, man. Um, his, his steroid use apparently was $11,000 a month. $11,000 a month. That is insane. Anyways, I recommend you go and start a business. Towards the back half of this episode, I ask Matthew Wong, how do you escape the matrix? How do you escape the nine to five? And he has 17 years scaling businesses. Listen to what he has to say. Go to loanoptions.ai, get yourself a loan and start a business that generates you X, 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 more than what you put in. Loanoptions.ai slash five eight. Let's go back to the episode. They say it was because he was too aggressive, but I'm a, I agree with the opinion out there that says the punters will take a conviction politician over weakness anytime. So you've got Daniel there who's very, very, if I, you've watched his victory speech and made fun of it, I've seen on your profiles. But one thing about that victory speech is he was absolutely committed. Like he is a conviction politician, doesn't matter what it is. And so I think the electorate has determined, at least he believes in what he says. Matthew Guy, the only reason he won that leadership, he, he was actually not, he actually didn't have the support. There were three warring factions inside the Liberal Party to take over from Michael O'Brien, who was like really quiet, wet lettuce type approach. And the popular guy who's now running again now to take over the leadership, he was going to take it. But then Matthew Guy came along with Tim Smith, who got drunk and smashed his Mercedes or whatever it was into someone's front garden wall, he's gone. But uh, Matthew Guy and Tim Smith, they threatened to blow up the Liberal Party if they didn't all just give it to Matthew Guy, their support. So all the factions got behind Matthew Guy in the end reluctantly, but that that was like a, a suicide threat. And they 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 just, that's what happened. But that was, he was not their, their first pick. So could he have done better? Of course he could. But once he was chosen with that kind of, internal stabbing, then I, I I just don't see really that he was ever going to do much better than he did. Now, the, the question now is, do the Liberals go to the right or do they go to the left? 
And so you've got Tony Abbott types and Alexandra Marshall types and Sky News types saying, well, they need to be a real liberal party, stand for classically liberal values and represent the conservatives of the, of the state. But honestly, the liberals who won would, with people like James Newbury and Beck Judd's electorate in Brighton, which is like Bondi Junction for your Sydney viewers, uh, of, or mm. um, Bondi, uh, Vaucluse, uh, you know, yummy mummy Black Ranger of the area. And he was so like pro into all the lefty stuff. And he's one of the few liberals who actually gained ground and all the others lost ground. So I think they're going to go to the left. Who knows? We'll see. Did everyone just completely misunderstand what was happening? Like, did they completely get it wrong, everyone, from that's completely against Dan? Or is everyone getting it wrong when it comes to freedom parties? Is all, all these freedom parties fragmenting votes? Is that that's what they're caring? Or are we better off just saying, look, these established parties, whether it be, you know, liberal or other main established parties, should we just focus on them rather than no. creating all these pop-up parties? And, um, you know, uh, my understanding is one of them was funneling votes as well. I'm not even too sure about that. Sack Dan Andrews party. Now, look, even if all the, because we have preferential voting in this country and, and in these states, it doesn't, it's fine. So you've got all of these people, for example, fighting in Mulgrove against Daniel in his own seat. It, they're not actually fracturing the vote because they're all giving their preferences to Ian Cook anyway and to each other, all these freedom friendly minor parties. So that's not getting behind liberal. I, I, a lot of people are saying that, but I, I don't see that as the problem. We've been saying for a couple of years now, there's a cultural issue in Australia, and that is that the quiet Australian is went along with this. The quiet Australian is not your conservative types, which is what you hear from Sky News and Tony Abbott. The quiet Australian doesn't care, mate. They care about their mortgage. They care about how how a uh, how are prices in the street? You know what's going on. And Daniel was successfully able to quell the calm and, and, and project an image of everything is is okay. And so they they mm. went along with it. I mean, you, you have to keep in mind that the the electorates that actually swung to, so Labor and Liberal both went down. So keep that in mind. Independent and minor parties were the big winners of this. Mainly the Greens, the Victorian Socialists, and Family First. Uh, but anyway, they all went really well and the majors were had a really low vote. But the few places that swung towards Labor were in the inner east of Melbourne, which had the highest work from home rates. So those who worked from home, the laptop class, right? Those who are on mm -hmm. 100 grand a year, that safe jobs, fine. Liberals picked up the most wins and Labor got smashed the most in the north of Melbourne and the west of Melbourne, which... I'm from Sydney, right? So in Sydney, it's mm. like Southwest Sydney turning against Daniel Andrews. The the, the working right. soul of the earth people, they they smashed uh, uh, Labor. So really, what you're seeing here is is as I said, the laptop class supported him, and it's more of a sleepy phenomenon. It's not a I stand with Dan. We approve of everything he did during COVID. It's more like, what's the problem? Let's move on, bro. Life's okay. I believe we're erecting a statue of this guy. Is, is that right? How long is that statue going to last? Is it true that he can't go out without bodyguards? It's absolutely true. Have you ever seen a you know, Biden campaign from the basement? That's exactly what Daniel sure. did here. He wouldn't even vote in his own electorate, wouldn't show up in his own electorate. And you know what? It worked. He was correct. Daniel treated them like mugs and can't blame him. It worked. Yep. And what's this thing about the union? Uh, um, something about raising money. There was also discrepancies there where minor party couldn't raise as much as Labor Party because there was something to do with the unions. Is that another thing that drastically helped him? I believe he spent quarter of a million just on, on Facebook ads going after people or something. The high, so the Age reported the Age is like the Sydney Morning Herald down here. The Age reported that the highest spend uh, in the country was. Um, was labor and the second highest spend was labor in the state. So they had a huge sp expenditure on on socials. But keep in mind, liberal, liberal spent quite a lot as well, a hundred and something thousand. But uh, no, so he, everyone's looking for a reason why he was able to win because he shouldn't have won. And I'm trying to say to you, no, I'm sorry. The reality is he won very strongly. Like he, he, in terms of seats, he won 51 seats and you only need 45 to win government. So Labor won. 
Like they solidly won. It's not a matter of he tricked his way into power. He, no, he. this is a legitimate win of the Labor Party. So people need to stop looking for a trick, honestly. They need to address what's underneath. Like why do people not care? That's more scary. Oh, so you, sorry, you asked about unions and donations. So the way yeah. their donations yeah. work in Victoria is they're extremely strict compared to other states, which some would argue is good. Like we, we don't want people to donate too much. But the problem is it's a it's a rigged game. So Labor has set it up that where you can only donate, I think it's, I can't remember the numbers, I think it's like $1,000 or something where you can donate anonymously or 400 or something anonymously. Above that, you need to give your full details to the VEC. But more than that, the... Um, you can only donate a maximum, I think it's $4,000 per entity, per person or entity. And so that that's like, okay, we want to cap donations so you don't have Simon Holmes Accord, the teal guy who came in and got them up, right, the climate change guy. You don't want him coming in and giving $50 million, or Clive. You know, you don't want Clive coming in and giving $100 million and, and doing stuff. So that was the intent of these laws. But they wrote in a back door for themselves, both for the Liberal Party and the Labor Party. So the Liberal Party, they could both nominate one entity to allow them to receive unlimited donations, which don't count towards this anti-corruption cap. It's like a like a player spending cap in sports, right? And so the um, mm. Labor Party has the unions as the I think it's the unions trades hall. Anyway, they, they have the unions declared as their uh, or the union-owned superannuation funds. I can't remember, but the union move the union apparatus machine as the unlimited donation source, and the Liberals have this company. Can't remember the name of it, but a company as the unlimited donation source. You don't have to um, cap it. So, so that what it is, it's like a big garden wall barrier to entry for small players. It's it's so impossible to get up, and to make matters worse, you get paid by the number of votes you get. Right, so Liberal and Labor get paid so much money from the, I think it's the VEC or the government, but they get paid per vote because they keep getting all of the votes. They get keep getting paid all the money which they spend. No one else is allowed to spend because of these caps. So you get this cycle where it's just like a closed shop, and the majors have built a wall around it around themselves. Sounds unfair. Now, Matt Guy, he during during the debate, one thing that stood out to me is that he said, "Look, I'd, I'd say this. I only want you to vote for the Liberal Party. <laughs> if I could put everyone else last, I would. Um, but you make choices on how to vote cards, and uh, from our point of view, we've said that we want to get a change of government in Victoria. That party isn't going to be represented in the lower house. It's pretty clear to to all of us who are political pundits, and no doubt Daniel and I would probably agree with that, and that's probably a good thing." Um, but what we do want to do is make sure Victoria gets a change of government. We've got a healthcare crisis. We've got cost of living issues. We need to help small business. And to do that, we need a change of government. You know, that those smaller micro parties won't be able to manage those issues. They don't know how to, and they won't form a government. Labor could, the coalition could. Essentially, all of these minor parties, none of them are able to run a government. Only Labor and Liberal is able to run a government. What's your thoughts on that? Can any, if any of these minor parties were to get in, can any of them run a government at all? Or is it only Liberal and Labor that can do it? What do we mean by run a government? Like, let's say uh, the freedom people got in, Clive Palmer and friends and whatever, right? And Pauline Hanson and whatever. What do we mean by they would screw it up or they wouldn't run it? Do we mean like they wouldn't, they wouldn't pander to the, corp- the, the, the corporate interests as much? They wouldn't... Uh, what they wouldn't waste they would waste too much money like the the amount of waste down here is absolutely off the wall insane like it's way worse than new south wales our state debt is is higher than the other states combined and we've got this suburban rail loop thing going on at the moment which our productivity commissions uh, under different names have come out and said it's completely not analyzed for cost benefit analysis and then they came out and said actually it's bad you you're only getting uh, you're getting back less than what you invest in it and you should get a ratio of at least four. Like you put in a dollar, you should get $4 back or whatever. And they're saying, no, you're getting less than a dollar back. And really like, l- l- give it to Clive Palmer, let him run it. Uh, like even if he ran it into the ground, like apparently he's run his resort into the ground, it would be the same or better than what the majors are doing. So I have no problem at this point with rolling the dice and letting some of these people uh, come in. Do we, are we seriously happy with how the pollies are running the country, people? Are we happy about it, the way they're running New South Wales? Come on. 
Moving on from from uh, Melbourne, um, discernible. So you guys have grown a lot. Tell me about like how did you? What what was the thought behind it? What what you, were you doing prior to it? Um, before doing all these interviews and because during the lockdown you got quite some notable breaking stories uh, coming out. Um, the police being one of them. That's um, how I initially came about your content, um, which is amazing, high quality content. So credit to you and your your team. Um, how did it come about? How did a whole uh, brand and uh, just the, the idea and concept uh, come together? Well, I think we've all been seeing the rise in long form discussion and just the ability to go deeper in a topic, which is what you're doing right now with me, and not just a sound bite. And so I just, I, I've been exposed to that for uh, many years now, it'd be close to 10 years, I guess, long form content. And then of course, we've seen the rise in the US of the, of the giants like Joe Rogan, but a lot of smaller ones like Lex Friedman and, and others, uh, you know, AI roboticist, just people wanting to go deeper into more nuance. And so that's exactly what we did. We just started to have conversations with anyone and anyone. So tomorrow I'm literally interviewing a Daniel Andrews minister. It's a, it's a Labor MP, a minister of Daniel Andrews. Uh, he's just retired at this fed, at this election a couple of days ago, but he was a minister for Daniel. So we'll talk to anyone and anything. And I think there's an appetite for that. People would like to hear a bit more nuance. The sad thing is Labor and the Greens and that sort of, and even the left, like cultural icons on the left, like Hamish and Andy, you know, I like Hamish. He's all good. But those sorts of people uh, ignore and what's his name, Jimmy Reese and, and these sort of people, they ignore long-form media because their whole image relies upon a curation. You have to have this beautiful polished mm. thing. And if they say a word wrong, they might lose their, especially Andy Lee, who's a bit of a dick. You know, we've got screenshots of the way he treats my staff publicly online. But he he's, um, you know, that can derail their careers. Whereas someone like Rogan or, or others or our, you and me, we can say some bad stuff and make a mistake. Like Rogan has come out and said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I was an idiot, whatever. And and people lean, our, our audiences, they lean in deeper, right? And that's amazing. Mm. The sad part to me though, is that it's not the majority. That's why I really like what you do. You know, you talk about, you do memes and humor and, you know, you're reaching that audience who doesn't care about politics. They don't want to watch discernible going on a deep dive about the foundation of human rights or what, why does free speech matter or what does mRNA um, technology do and where does it come from? They don't want that, but they, you're getting into them like Sushi Mango does with humor. Mm. I think you have a bigger future if you're going down that path than we do. I don't know. You're pretty polished and well done, mate. Like you get a, I see sponsors going all the way, uh, your way. Um, but so these, these long form discussions. So you, did you initially watch Rogan and Alex and, um, you thought, look, this is the direction that it's going or did like a lot of people during the pandemic, they always had these ideas, uh, in their heads and they, they, that's one thing that I appreciate from what occurred with the lockdown and with pressure mm. on humans. It, show, it put them in, in this, you know, fight or flight mode where they're like, oh, everything that I wanted to do before, maybe I want to do painting. I'm just going to start painting. Maybe I want to do um, media. Maybe I want to do stand-up and I want to do this and that. Was, was it a drive... Uh, that you've always had in your back of the head on your of your mind, and then you, when the pandemic hit, you were like, "All right, this is something I I, I want to drive even further." Now we started before the pandemic, so we started in September, uh, October two thousand and nineteen, and pandemic when the pandemic hit, December, January, um, twenty twenty. Uh, yeah. yeah, January 2020. Uh, no, we started with business videos. So basically I went through my own mental health issues of purpose. Basically the quote probably sums it up best, right? That we all have two lives and the second life begins when we realize we only have one. And I realized that yes. in 2018, I had a very high paying job and I and traveling around the country, not doing much, just high level executive role and got really depressed. So quit that and then went on a journey of trying to figure myself out, kind of a midlife crisis in your early 30s. And then uh, I, um, start, I I just figured out that I wanted to to help as many, it sounds so stupid, help people. But I, my personal sort of upbringing, you know, I had 
a rough up, a, a uh, abusive upbringing, and I became very sensitive to people and their needs, and hyper aware of their um, when they're feeling uncomfortable in conversations uh, because of abusive uh, childhood, and that became just like a desire to serve and to help people. And so we started doing business videos. And then when the pandemic stuff happened, we started to comment on that and that started to take off. And so even now, like if you go through my website where all of our interviews are free to watch, it's the list of the catalog. It's mostly not politics. It's like really interesting academics and philosophers and stuff like that. So what you're seeing with Discernible is just an expression of my curiosity and the reason why I think I'm good at it is because of my pathology, my, my abusive upbringing, that when I sit down with someone, I'm not trying to catch them like Lee Sales or whoever. And I'm not trying to prove a point to everyone like how good am I? You know, I've been through that sort of this, this life crisis stuff. So I'm just uh, really curious. And, and when my guest starts to get a bit a bit uncomfortable, I sense it very early and then I try and redirect the conversation and move move around things get them relaxed again and then come at, at it again from a different angle and that takes time and so the long form format allows me to put on display a real deep view into these people that are brave enough to sit in front of me for an hour and a half and so that's what you're seeing just a really cool blend of time and chance and yeah did you delve into philosophy a little bit while you were going mm. through that that time and do you subscribe to a particular philosophy? For example, for me, I push a lot of uh, stoicism. I think it's one of the greatest frameworks of how a person should live their life. How did you get over that that frame of mind uh, before going on this journey? Uh, I've always been a bit of a nerd and was teased in school for speaking in quotes a lot. And now everyone is impressed <laughs> when I speak in quotes all the time because that's how my, I'm not. I'm not trying to impress. It's just my mind is thinking in quotes, and and because I'm trying to lean on the wisdom of, of, of the ages rather than my own thoughts. Yeah. And they call me wise. And I'm like, it's funny because the same thing got me called a nerd and teased in school. So whatever, you know, your, your praise doesn't affect me because you, I, I'm hurt by it all. Uh, so <laughs> I, I recognize the, Sto the Stoics, right, have, a, have an incredible – some people talk about uh, the more religious and the deontological ethic and the classical – uh, kind of worldview as being a very good informing position, which should then be expressed out through stoicism. And they kind of combine them. And I, I see that. I see stoicism as, as one of the most practical uh, frameworks, like you say, through which to live. And and if everyone embraced that, we'd have a far better world. Uh, personally, I, I embrace... Uh, uh, I want to say higher level, but I don't mean better, but I mean a more of a meta view just because I'm a bit of a nerd and I think nebulously. And I, I like to think of on, in ontolog ontology and 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 um, epistemology and just why. Like I'm always asking why and what does that mean and what is it and how do you know that is what it is and what are ethics and where do ethics come from and what what are normative ethics? Like how do you choose between different ethical frameworks? And try, I try and notice in the world, you know, speed cameras. Speed cameras are built around a particular utilitarian ethic, right? It's based on Jeremy Bentham's panopticon, which is this idea of you have a prisoner in uh, a jail of prisoners and rather than have like one jailer for every five prisoners, you can do it more efficiently by putting one jailer guard in the middle surrounding with mirrored glass and then all around him you could have hundreds or thousands of cells and so now the prisoners in the cells don't know which way the, the prison guard is looking at any time because it's mirrored glass and so they all must behave just in case he sees you misbehaving so you get this incredible efficiency it's like speed cameras that's what they do. You don't know where, you don't know when. And in Victoria, we don't have those signs like you have. You have signs to say speed camera coming up, loss of license. And you have two signs before your camera. We have zero. We have we go under a bridge and it's just a bridge. And then you get home, a month later, you get a ticket in the mail. You look up like where you got it on Google Street View and it's like just a bridge. And there's this little black box underneath in the shadows. That's it. So, you know, that's the panopticon. In Victoria, no one speeds compared to Sydney. On the M5, people always going past you. Down here, no. Nah. Everyone just follows the speed limit because you can't afford, you don't know where the guard is looking. So I love that kind of philosophy. 
I love to delve into mm-hmm. that, that, that kind of thing. Do you feel like the world has fallen into a spiral of Nietzsche? I feel everyone is oh. a bit of a nihilist these days. Um, and I hope they get to his final philosophy of Amor Fati. I hope that's the direction that we're headed. Um, <laughs> if not, uh, we will be in a spiral of nihilism. But I feel like his philosophy has just been yearning and burning for the last, I don't know, like six or seven years. But I feel like it's so prominent right now. You've been listening to a lot of Peterson, have you? Peterson has done a lot of hours on Nietzsche, but I don't think he likes Nietzsche uh, or he definitely, uh, I'm due to see him Saturday night. So that, that should be good. But what, um, in Sydney? He's, yeah. Yeah. He's got his oh, second show. Oh, second, oh, he's coming back. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. yeah he he and, says uh, he's got a few criticisms of Nietzsche, but he always quotes him every five seconds. Yeah. So personally, I think he quite likes Frederick Nietzsche. That and, and, his asphyxiation with Yun is um, quite, <laughs> quite dead. <laughs> Look, I mean, it's not bad. Look, he's smarter than me. But the, so people forget, though, that the end of Nietzsche's uh, prediction of the human race was actually not nihilism. So yeah. that's the popular. It was almost like stoicism. It yeah. was almost like I, he had criticisms of stoicism, but then his last thing being a more party sort of brought him back. Um, into that, but he also said God is dead, um, which people don't appreciate. But that's Nietzsche, I guess. He didn't have a great life. Well, they missed the full quote. So he said God is dead and everyone goes, see, you know, like God sucks, evolution. What? No, he said God is dead and who <laughs> shall we replace him with? And the truth is we've replaced mm. him with the state because if you look at the woke yeah. left now, they are so religious. It's not funny, man. And you want to start talking about vaccines? I don't know what you can talk about on your channel, but they are so religious. Yeah. It's no longer about science or uh, give me an accurate. It's like you just want to kill us anyway. So there's 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 all the hallmarks of their of, of a religion with their high priests uh, and 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 permitted speech and heresy uh, and 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 so on. But, but with Nietzsche, he. Uh, he wanted everyone to go into this, you know, self-actualization place and he, and he, and he advocates that, but he says, unfortunately, we're probably not going to end in that. And he, he describes this situation of humanity in a Wally like state. So, you know, Wally, the uh, robot Pixar robot. movie. Yeah. 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 You got all these fat, um, no muscle uh, blobs multi-generational sitting on these carts so they can't even walk because the bone density is gone. But the way that they're just placated in a brave new world sense, that is actually his ultimate, not desire, but prediction of humanity will end in a weird kind of stalemate, neither in nihilism and hedonism, nor in his, is it called Ubermensch? His utopia? I can't remember. Yeah, Ubermensch. Yeah. Not in his utopia, but in this weird Wally like state. And that's what I see happening. I think he was correct. I think we're seeing that now that people are lulled into sleep. And someone like yourself and others, like um, I saw that one of the sponsors of this show, shout out, is uh, loanoptions.ai. Julian fired him and Anthony Curcio. And some of these people have very strong internal locuses of control. They often do physical things like martial arts, like yourself. Uh, and they just take accountability for their own actions. They have a high agency attitude. We are seeing the opposite of that right now around the Western world, but especially Australia. Low agency behavior and external locus of control. So much so that the government steps in to, to save you and look after you. And that's what's turning us into Pixar's Wally. This is a question that. I've been pondering with, they, they mm. continue to, you know, say that there's robots are just completely expanding. And I, I bring this question up due to Lex Freeman and your, on your um, touch base on uh, the robotics podcast. Do you think that we're going to get to a stage where we can't evolve these robots fast enough? Like, do, you know how there's, there's these, there's this, um, thought where 
all these jobs are going to be taken because we're having, we had hmm. the first industrial revolution, we received jobs. Second industrial revolution, we made jobs. Third, we made hmm. jobs. Now we're in a panic stage of an industrial revolution where it's uh, automation, which is taking jobs, which is the first evolution, which is doing such. Hmm. Do you think with the crumbling of society, if society is to crumble in this nihilistic sense and we remove God and we look to these states that eventually, you know, empires crumble themselves, will we get to a stage where these robots will take over or is that just a sci-fi movie endeavour and that's never going to happen? Oh, I, I don't agree that we're in a nihilistic state. If you look at the people who are uh, anesthetized, like, you know, you live a high discipline, high agency life, the, re- the, 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 the plebs around you, the weak ass people around you, when you look at them, they're not, they're not, they, they, they're, they're not nihilist. They're not walking around saying like, it doesn't mean anything. They're just enchanted by their trinkets. Netflix and chill new donut store opened up near my house. Like the little trinkets of life are enchanting them. That is not nihilism. That is that Wally state of mankind. So I think, I think that's more, more likely. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what you're asking about nihilism. Will the robots take over, Matt? Oh, robots. Will the robots Skynet. take over? Yes. Are they no, gonna? I, are they gonna take over? Are they gonna take all our jobs? Are we gonna have no jobs left? And are people gonna go insane? And then are these robots gonna enter the streets? And then are they gonna lock us inside? And then you're only allowed to come out at a certain time. Or will empires crumble? And there's no one to build these robots at all. Uh, look, robots, I don't know why you're asking me, ask Lex. Robots uh, are just the new <laughs> automobiles. I mean, every time a new wave and an industrial revolution comes, it's always this, oh, no, all these people go out of jobs. But humanity, humans are so so much like cockroaches in that they survive, they adapt. And we, we haven't seen any of these doomsaying predictions of rev- of industrial revolutions or technological revolutions destroy. We've just seen them do what Schumpeter calls creative destruction. Joseph Schumpeter, a business thinker, creative destruction, where it's like fire that runs through the bush and it stimulates new growth. Now, there's pain in fire, definitely, right? And that's what people are worried about, the pain of losing a job or someone who's worked their whole life to build up the taxi medallion, the plates, and their retirement is in their four taxi plates and then Uber comes along and destroys them. So then they go and lobby government to protect them and so on. So, uh, no, I don't think robots will take over in that sense, but I, I do think that they will be used by increasingly authoritarian and uh, more than authoritarian, totalitarian governments because totalitarianism is different from authoritarianism in the sense that totalitarianism requires an immense amount of buy-in from the people who are oppressed. But the, the the idea, the, the quote that the endurance of a tyrant is prescribed, uh, sorry, the the limits of a tyrant are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. And, and the limits of us in Melbourne, we've just proved. Like, keep govern me harder, Danny. Like, keep going. And so we're allowing this, yeah? And so I think we're going to see robots deployed. We already are with the, you know, the impending social credit system, which is already kind of here. Like, there's already... Elon Musk is reversing some of that, thankfully, but there's already real significant things happening on that front in Australia. And and I think that these technologies like robots are going to be used to support that. So in Melbourne, we just rolled out a whole bunch of cameras on, on almost every single intersection, just like traffic cameras, which is fine, right? Traffic cameras, whatever. But I had a facial recognition company, which is now defunct. And we were able to, to count objects, recognize objects, recognize faces, uh, cars, number plates, that kind of thing. You could easily roll out what they have in every highway patrol vehicle in New South Wales and Victoria, which is number plate recognition. And it says to the cop driving, hey, that car around you is unregistered or whatever. That would be easy to have a lockdown or a climate lockdown or a congestion tax or whatever policy 
these guys come up with, and then just use those camera feeds because you don't need special cameras for for recognition, and 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 say, look, you're not allowed three kilometers from your home, which they did to us, and L, for you guys, the LGA. Then as soon as you go past, it pings your number plate. That's what we're in terms of the robots taking over. I think that's how they take mm. over. So if anything, it's not going to be Terminator and Skynet. It's going to be Black Mirror. <laughs> go watch that series. And so, Melbourne, do you think you have adopted a lot of these Americanized politics? So is that just Dan Redrick? And I've I've seen videos which is Dan is is the one that's for years has been you know bringing this crediting Hillary, crediting you know Obama, crediting all these all these Democrats from America for a long time. And do you think that's him? just deflecting or, or what I did, I didn't quite understand where he was coming from there and how when, that would what? win him votes when he said, uh, the liberal party is bringing on American politics rhetoric to oh. Melbourne. <laughs> it's so funny because I was say that morning I was around the table with my family and I was saying, you know, this election campaign is so divisive. I haven't seen this before. Because the leaders, especially Daniel Andrews, is is bringing such an Americanized. Because just before that, he called everyone Nazis, uh, yeah, and extremists, and he said, "I think conspiracy theorist is too kind a word for these people." Right. So he was already being very American, and I, I said to my family, "It's becoming so Americanized. Daniel is just Americanizing." That day, he comes out and he goes, "I don't like this Americanization." <laughs> What a tosser. Anyway, <laughs> he, he absolutely is. He, but he's brilliant, man. Like he is the best politician I bet best. He's the most successful politician I've ever seen. He is so good at what he does because he says out of his mouth, I lead for all Victorians and we don't divide. We're united. But 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 not not if you got if you're not vaccinated, right? You're not, you're not part of the all Victorians. You're something else. He others you. Uh, and, and, and hope uh, defeats hate <laughs> after he sows the Nazi stuff and the hate th throughout the past years. So, look, I think he is Americanizing in the sense of Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals. I think mm. we mock him and others like Sky News and all that mock him for not campaigning in his electorate or right now I just mocked him for calling Americanization of politics even though he was the very one that did it in the, on that day. And, and yet it works because he's deploying the Rules for Radicals handbook. Go read that, Solinsky, which is, was, you know, Obama's hero was that. Same divisiveness that they employ in the US, the Democrats, and it works, it works, which is why I think we need to fight back on a cultural level to immunize and to vaccinate our population against this Americanization. You don't think this Americanization gets Australians looking more into politics? So there's, there's the flip on it. There's the flip on where America is very much focused on their politics and that could be credit to mm -hmm. Trump. Should we down under be shining a lot more light on politics, therefore Americanizing it more and having these mm. right-wing pundits come out of the woodworks and not let everything be led by mainstream media? We're a different people though, right? So we're descended from both convicts and jailers, and there seems to be a lot more jailers at Karen's around the place. You know, don't push your kid on the swing, yelled at me. Uh, th th there is a different place, and Australians have the, the you've heard it said before that we never had a war to, to stand up for independence. And you know, we're not as ornery, we're more laid back because we've been the lucky country. The, the phrase the lucky country was a, a um, an insult. The guy who coined it. He, I can't remember the rest of the quote, but it was Australia is the lucky country and then something like that's all it will ever have. It has no industriousness in its population. It just relies on luck. And so oh, wow. when, when he called us the lucky country, he was saying that's, that's putting you to sleep. And I, I think that's the case. I think when I talked about the apathy in the electorate in Victoria who just went along with what we did, with what Daniel did, I think that to reach them, you need to talk, you need to 
talk to them in a different way to Americans. You can't go around screaming freedom, freedom, freedom. They'll be like, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. You're a tinfoil hat cooker. I am free. As, as they're under lockdowns, I'll say, I am free. What's your problem? You can't go around screaming the sky is going to fall either. Like the debt, the debt, the debt. How long have you heard the coalition scream that in this country in every state and, and nationally? Because yeah. honestly, like it, look, I'm 36 or 7. I've grown up this last 36 years. It's been great. And all I've heard is liberals screaming, the debt, the debt, the debt, it's going to catch up. And I haven't seen any problem, you know, my day-to-day life until the inflation recently and perhaps house prices, I don't own a home. Other than that, like Australians are not feeling it. And I I think it's really the sushi mangoes of this world who are not that political, but they're, you know, if you, if you watch Carlos on his Instagram, they are actually having a bigger, and, and Jimmy Reese, they're actually having a big effect. And I think we need to be a bit sneakier with Australians. Now, I'm not against the people who want to stand up and scream and yell and protest, whatever. Go, you know, we need we need all sorts. We need all everyone doing what they can do. But I, I just think it's been proven that the the freedom protests were important and they demonstrated something and they put a lot of courage in people. But at the same time, I don't feel like they politically moved the needle, especially in Victoria and WA. Political parties can't necessarily. Um you know, lead with comedy. I, I love leading with comedy. It's just it's just Paul natural Hansen to me did. because I'm uncomfortable. She did with that cartoon, which is one of the greatest yeah. like political moves ever. That cartoon was fantastic. And I, I I remember the media being up in arms about it when it first came out. It's it's one of the, it's a great piece that that's true. That's true. So should other parties take note and lead that way? But then doesn't that make the political landscape a bit too comical? How, how do we speak to Australians from a political standpoint? I'm, I'm really sorry to admit this. It's only because of the election we just went through that I really am, you know, I, we're discernible. Like we have deep, meaningful, philosophical conversations. And I've just learned a lesson. That's not cutting through. You know, we have about 150,000 Victorians following us, about 200,000 overall mm-hmm. worldwide. That's, so in one sense, you could be like, wow, that's heaps of people. But then re- re- the reality is they're just a the very small slice of people who are interested in the higher order of thinking and systematic thinking. Most people are, are empathy driven. So a lot of psychologists put the, the spectrum of people either being empathy driven uh, or feeling driven or um, systematic driven. And so that's why you've got the right wing uh, and conservatives saying, yes, we'd love to do these things, but the reality, the laws of nature is this. So we can't do that. And you've got the left saying, you can't leave anyone behind because for them, n- leaving someone behind is so painful in their in their construct of social cohesion and worldviews that they just cannot countenance that whatever the cost. And so I, th- I think the reality is Australia is more leaning towards that empathetic side. And you can see that in our policies, our increasing welfare state compared to other nations, our elections. I mean, the Liberals just lost five elections in a row around the country and they're about to lose their sixth in New South Wales unless you guys do something about it. And so I, I'm sad to say, I think we need to lean into the cheap, not, not gutter politics, like the Pauline Hanson cartoons were, there was a lot of depth in there. It's like an episode of Bluey, you know, it's like Shrek. You know, there's a lot of depth for the adults, even though it's a kid's movie. And I think we need to make it more accessible and lean into the, if I was a political party, I'd be cozying up to Sushi Mango. Do, do you guys know who Sushi Mango is? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's about being smart with where you get those votes. In in uh, Victoria, a lot of the, as I said, a lot of the liberal gains and the labor smashing came in the, the north, the, the, like the Southwest Sydney style suburbs. But all that did was take labor from a 70% Labor seat to a fifty-eight percent Labor seat, so the seat stays Labor. Yeah. When bring up climate change, what's your thoughts on it? I think the reason why they're bringing it up is because it's been so pressed in our schooling system. If you talk to, you know, I've got family members and friends who are like eighteen to twenty-five. The the youngins, they they are, they don't come out as climate, some of them come out as Greta Thunbergs, you know, but most of them don't come out as warriors. They come out as it's accepted fact. 
So they come out and saying, of course, humanities is destroying the planet and we need to reduce the human population. And I'm like, hang on a second. Do, do you realize that what you just said is a significant statement? It is a strong policy and ethical and philosophical um, discussion and, and side. It's a misanthropic approach. And we can argue over whether it's good or not, but it is a thing. And they're like, no, what are you talking about? That's just like gravity. Like, no, 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 you don't understand how climate modeling works. It's much more more observation and then extrapolation through theory and models than it is about testable gravity. We're not able to test your hypotheses that the earth is going to burn in 12 years, according to AOC. Like, that's not what we do. We don't wait for the world to burn and say, I told you so. So the problem is they're accepting a hypothesis driven with 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 some data. Sure, we can, we can give them that, but they're living on modeling as they did for COVID-19 deaths, right? We're living on modeling. They accept it as fact, like gravity. And then when, when a politician comes along, it's like the politician is expected to acknowledge it, to affirm it, and to do something about it. So when the youngins and the greens and so on say, well, you have a crap climate policy, I think it's less about them being shrieking leftist, we're going to burn AOC style. That's Adam Bant, and there's a that's a few, but in general, there's there's millions of kids and young adults now that are like, bro, climate change is real. It's happening. What's what's like? We have to fix it. It's an existential threat of our lifetime. What are you doing about it? That's that's mm. the position, and so I think politicians are responding to that. So their job is almost like they don't need to go to war with the crazy left woke AOCs who are saying we won't be, we'll be at a, a burnt to a crisp in 12 years. They need to go to war on the education front. They need to push people like Bjorn Lomberg, who is a full-on climate change affirming, yes, it's anthropogenic, it's warming the earth, that's Bjorn Lomberg. So he's acceptable at least to some of these normal mainstream centre-left Australians. They need to take him take his message, which is, okay, what are we going to do about it? Because these crazy subsidies, this shutdown of the economy, this demonization of coal, it's going to wreck everything. We need to be more smart than this. Uh, they need to go on the education front and use people like him to shift that narrative. Otherwise, electorally, they'll have to do what they're doing now, which is slide to the left and appease that generation that I just I just mentioned. Out of the interviews that you had, um You've had a lot of them. What what stands out to you? What's what's something that you really enjoy um, talking about? One one that's you know you it might not even be your most viewed or your most popular, but one that mm. you listen back and you go, you know what? Like I really enjoyed that conversation. And if you could break it apart a little for us, I really love uh, people of conviction. And mm-hmm. so I would not be a, a guest that I like because you just asked me about, do, it, do you believe in climate change? And I gave you an honest answer. I'm not sure. I think it's probably a bunch of scams, but I can't really say. That's not strong conviction, and, but it's, it's authentic. It's true. But I, I don't like that sort of a guest. I want a guest to come on and be like, nah, the IPA comes on my show and says, nah, it's, it's crap. And I, I love that because I'm like, why? Tell me more. Uh, so I had this lady... Uh, probably two. I've had this lady called Bindi Cole Chocker. She's the cancelled artist. She was an artist who photographed transgender Aboriginals in, uh, you're supposed to say Indigenous or whatever, screw you, she, uh, Aboriginal transgender kids. And she was lauded as this hero of the left. Then Andrew Bolt comes out. You know Andrew? Yeah, you know Andrew Bolt. He comes yeah. out and he says... Uh, how can you be Aboriginal? Because she she identifies as Aboriginal because she's fully white. Anyway, she sues Andrew Bolt under the Racial Discrimination Act. What? Uh, her and a few others. But yeah, if you remember this like 10 years ago, he was sued for his columns in the Herald Sun uh, under the racial, uh, and in his blog under the Racial Discrimination Act under new provisions in the Racial Discrimination Act. I think Gillard and Rudd brought them in. I'm not sure. But anyway, they succeed. They succeed. And, and Andrew Bolt, is his columns, he has to publish a uh, sorry, and also his columns are now censored by the court. So the courts have said there are some columns written by this evil white guy called Andrew Bolt who you are not allowed to read these columns. It's not, you can't find them. So she wins. 
And then a few years later, she, she uh, has a radical conversion to Christianity, Pentecostal Christianity. So pretty much wow. the opposite of the woke left life she was leading. So, you know, now she's anti-transgender and anti-gay marriage and, you know, the whole thing. And she, now she's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And she's, she now, she, so then the art world dropped her because they want nothing to do with her all of a sudden. Uh, and she doesn't like the, the work that she did previously promoting transgender Aboriginal kids. Then she's now just starting to come back in the past few years and she's doing sculptures and stuff and she's, she's trolling people now. So she does this, this one artwork, which is this giant cross. And it, and, and it says, I love Jesus. Right. And she puts it up for exhibition or whatever. And one of these secular, you know, just like a typical anti-Christian left kind of um, galleries, uh, thinks it's so amazing, buys it for a huge amount of money. They, they often sell these artworks for 20, 30, 40, $50,000. So they only need to do a couple of year, right? Uh, and <laughs> she means it. Like she's a full-on Pentecostal Christian. But the art gallery thinks that it's a satirical, like edgy <laughs> takedown of ScoMo and his Pentecostal links. <laughs> so she's trolled into displaying her new... Um, religious beliefs. So she was cool. Another really interesting guest was um, my most recent one was Peter Pham, a human rights lawyer from Sydney, where he just really laid out his beliefs of human rights and the foundation in Egypt, where they came from, and then throughout history. And that was a really amazing conversation. And the conversations I hate the most and the, the content I hate the most that we produce is the viral stuff. I really hate it when we'll put a clip out and everyone's like, oh, I knew they were corrupt. Glenn Drury deals. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> and I'm like, I say to my team, quick, quick, get me another clip. We need to get off this. I, I you know, I, my worst fear is to become rebel news. I, do, <laughs> I run away from it as, as fast as I can. Why is that? What, you want to collect donations every five seconds? No. I'm not about the I'm not about the clips, man, and the and the and you know they do important work. I'm not I'm not saying they shouldn't exist. I'm not like Daniel Andrews saying he's not a real journalist. No, not at all. He should, and he's a journalist. Great. I just he has done amazing style, work, of course. And even if I disagree with some of the other big freedom movement people, I don't want to shut them down. Go hard, son. But I'm just I, I hate that. Like. Oh, give me clicks and what? How can I outrage you more so you get more traffic to my website? No, I can't. Can't handle it, man. No, I understand, and it's also it's it's hard trying to keep up with, I guess, a populist content cycle because the f attention span of people just isn't that high. Um, so they need to be engaged and truly love the content and you have, you know, greater retention if that's the case rather than trying to, you know, keep up with what is happening right now. And those aren't even like, I don't know, those, those are bots to me. They're not even real, real people really a lot of the times. It just seems, I don't know, seems that way. NPCs. A question that I, I'll, I'll, leave you with um and thank you for going a little over time um two questions one exiting the matrix right now <laughs> i love that movie i did a whole um little big email piece on on uh, the matrix i've watched it so many times as a kid because it was the, the only real cd that i had when i dvd when i came to australia Exiting the matrix right now. I don't know if you know Andrew Tate, but get on your Andrew Tate stuff. What, what would you think is the best avenues if someone's trying to start a business right now and trying to exit their nine to five? What do you think would be an option that they should look into? Maybe a future developing market that um, you, you see having traction What's something that they can do to exit their nine to five if they're looking to do that? Uh, I, I haven't seen any of Andrew Tate's stuff. I haven't even caught up on Zuby's interview with him, so I can't. I don't. I can't follow the reference there. But 
Um, I know he's a he's a he's a woman hating misogynist. That's all I know, right? That's what the media tells me. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I'll have to. Catch, that's he, fine. He'll be a, <laughs> <him aside. laughs> He'll probably be amazing if that's what they're calling him. But I haven't seen his stuff. Uh, no, they, well, they should take my. We do online seminars called town halls. We literally cover this in like how to start oh, a business because I think um, the point of that is to say that you need to take control of your life. Yes, self. Self-reliance is the thing is what governments do is they they say to you, we'll provide for you. It's the external locus of control, right? And and then once they're your provider, mate, the amount of nurses and teachers who were pleading with me in Instagram messages, Matt, I don't know what to do. I've had two jabs. They're forcing me to take the third. I had such a severe reaction to the first. And in the second, it was even worse. And I now I've got like a permanent limp, stuff like this. And now they're forcing me to take a third. I have to take it because I'm a single mum. I'm a nurse or whatever, teacher. There's no, nothing else I can do. Help, help, help. I've got a week left. And I'm like, there's nothing I can do. You, you have built a life so dependent on the system and on government that you are now vulnerable. They can dictate to you. So be careful when the government says free uh, nursing degrees, which is what they're doing in Victoria, because it's not free. You will pay for it with your career you must do what they say you must do in 10 years from now anyway so i think getting off the system as much as is possible so i'm not talking about living in a hut in the woods with solar panels i'm talking about um multiple streams of income so for example we've all got skills for me educating and talking and interviewing is one so why that's why i create like courses like the one i just talked about um which people can see on our website but Whatever your skill is, like create a course on Udemy about it, like sewing, building birdhouses, whatever. Or maybe your skill is helping people feel good about, why don't you get into counseling and, and business coaching uh, and start a business there? But whatever it is, you need to start create putting creating, um, digging wells that might not give you water now, might take a few years. But you need to start building those now when the time is okay, when it's not um, messaging discernible saying, I've got one week left. What do I do? It's probably the third one's probably going to kill me. Uh, that's too late. So, so go and do so. so in terms of specific industries, mate, we've just talked about the Wally culture of anesthetized humans, right? Vegging out on Netflix and so on. That also represents a huge market for convenience type services, but specifically content. If you can work out how to create content, I'm telling you, there is not enough content in the world. I cannot put out enough interviews. I don't have enough people, time, money, resources. There's not enough discernibles. There's not enough Diego's. There's not enough Joe Rogan's. I know because I get to the end of Joe Rogan's list and then Lex Friedman's list and then Brett Weinstein's list. And then I'm like, what else do I listen to? We need more and more content for this lazy ass generation who just sits around. And the cool thing is you might be able to create content that actually inspires them to get up and do something, but there's not enough. So I would say the number one thing to do is to get into content creation. Now, content creation is not just for someone like me who can talk and you who can, can be on camera. The biggest uh, wins have been platforms. Like it's not, it's not, um, it's not the super famous stars on YouTube that's rich. It's YouTube itself who created the the machine that makes YouTube stars. So in terms of content creation, why is no one selling content uh, podcasts? Want to start a podcast? It's difficult. We will do it all for you. Just record it with your iPhone send it to us. We'll create thumbnails. We'll cut it up. We'll make it sound good. We'll publish it for you. And anyone can do this, right? You go on Google and figure out how to edit audio with Audacity, a free audio editing program by Google. You could do this in a couple of weeks, set yourself up, start to, um, and you never have to appear on camera. So I would be writing the content production wave. That's what I would write. Love that. And last question before I let you leave. Um, we work a lot with with men, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's mentality. Um, what's your advice for young men navigating the world right now, um, feeling that they're 
detached, depressed. Um, one statistic that a video um, piece that I was speaking on on a podcast that went quite viral was the stat that over 300 um, men in Sydney have committed suicide and the, the mm. suicide rate is astronomical from uh, male to female and which means that mm. there'll be two people dead in Sydney alone uh, throughout this entire year per day. So what's your advice for young men that's feeling disenfranchised of this world? Big picture, I think men need to discover their why. I mean, the reason why I wanted to kill myself and I got and I went, that was my depressive midlife crisis, uh, was a lack of purpose. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of men are feeling that, especially with the fact that all men are, you know, toxic masculinity and all this, right? We're being pushed. It's ridiculous. It's like that C.S. Lewis quote where we, we remove the organ from the body and demand it to still perform the same function. It's ridiculous. We're, we're telling men that they're toxic and then we're, we're, we're robbing them of everything that they are. And then we're pointing to them and laughing because they're incels and they're useless and they're not masculine. It's like, come on, man. So f- I think p- men need to find purpose, find the why, right? And for me, that's a long, long journey. Uh, it's another podcast. But a, a key question that I asked myself was I was, I was wondering, I was applying for jobs, trying to find an identity and a purpose because whatever job I get, that's what I'll become great at, right? But I had to stop asking, what should I do? Should I be this? Should I do that? I had to start asking, who am I, right? Because my midlife crisis was, what should I do now? What should I do? What am I good for? Why does the world need me? Or does it not need me? Maybe I should just check out. And I had a kid and two young daughters at the time that I was planning my suicide. Uh, And yeah, so I had to stop asking, what should I do? And ask, who am I? I think when you start to explore, who are you? That doesn't change through the seasons of life. What I mean, it can change, but it doesn't, it's not determined by the seasons of life. So figure out who you are and who you want to be. The practical way of doing that, I wrote my eulogy. So the eulogy is the thing people read out when you're dead at your funeral. But I didn't just write my my eulogy, I wrote two. I wrote the eulogy that people would say about me today, if I died today. And then I wrote another eulogy, which was the eulogy I wish they would read about me if I died today. And then I I had two eulogies and then I measured the gap between them. And I went, that's what I need to do. I need to work to change this eulogy of today into the eulogy I want it to be. And thankfully, I've now closed more than 50% of that gap in the eulogies in about three or four years. And and, and that's, that's been a huge turnaround for me. And then, and then if you want to get super practical, lift heavy weights, man. Like you, you will not believe how much your body as a male is set up for testosterone fueled weight bearing. Like it's literally this room I'm in now is a spare bedroom in my house and I'm on the floor watching some little hot chick doing exercise thing I've signed up to. And she's all like gentle movements that's all it takes, man. I got my weights with this little chick and I'm doing this and I feel a million bucks. Everything is better when you exercise as a male. Exercise. It's powerful. And yeah, that, yeah, probably something that, it, that yeah, hit different, um, especially the um, the riding out and seeing the, the difference. That's, yeah. It's a major item. Thank you so much for coming on, my brother. Matt, let them know where they can find you, things that you have coming up. When does the um, episode with the Labor MP, the ex-Labor MP, come out? Um, floor is yours. You can follow us on all socials by just looking up discernible. The American spelling, A-B-L-E. I thought it was cool to be able to discern. Ha-ha. <laughs> uh, <laughs> discernible. Uh, yeah, and also... Uh, if it's all free on my website, like a catalogue of Joe Rogan style interviews, just go to the, this is how you spell it, discernible. Anyway, um, go go to go to the website discernible.io and you can just watch hours and hours and hours of inspiring conversations. And yeah, thank you for letting me be on your show. Thank you so much, my brother. I appreciate you. Tem uma história para contar, eu vivi. Dá uma olhada no 